Well, good morning and welcome once again. And we are uh, continuing our study in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, I feel like it's been uh, a lot of start, stop, start, stop. We, we started before um, Advent, and then we had Advent, and in the midst of Advent we had a, a week off because of snow. Then we started up again in the new year, and then we had a week off because of snow. And so we are still in chapter 2 of the Gospel of Mark um, and moving along uh, in that study. Uh, over the course of the past few sermons, there's been an increase in the conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders. Uh, first, Jesus was questioned for eating with tax collectors and sinners. And then he was asked why he and his disciples didn't fast like John the Baptist's disciples or uh, the Pharisees. And now, here in our text, the conflict reaches a sort of a, a pinnacle, a climax. And uh, it's over the issue of Sabbath observance. Over Sabbath observance. Um, So let's turn now and we'll look at the Gospel of Mark chapter 2. We'll look at verses 23 through chapter 3, verse 6. Mark chapter 2, 23 to 3, verse 6. Hear God's word. You can follow along in your bulletins or, or in your Bibles. Hear God's word. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. Pharisees, uh, he stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you uh, that you are indeed the Lord of the Sabbath. And so help us to find rest in you. Uh, Even as we wrestle with this text, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This, this is a foreign text. Now, what, what do I mean by foreign? What I mean is that we have, I think, very little experiential connection to what's going on here. Um, the whole thing seems actually a little bit ridiculous, right? Let's just think about it for a minute. The disciples pluck some grain and they eat it and Jesus heals a hand, man's hand. And by the end of the account... In verse 6 of chapter 3, the Pharisees are plotting with the Herodians 
a group of people that aligned themselves with Herod, uh, the, 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 the Roman authority, they plotted with the Herodians to destroy him, to destroy Jesus. Really? Because the disciples ate some grain as they were walking down the road, and because he healed somebody, now you're plotting to destroy Jesus? It seems a little over the top, an overreaction. And, and I find in Christian circles that we tend to pick apart this overzealous obsession that the Pharisees have toward this habit. I think we tend to want to pile on the Pharisees most of the time when we read. And there's good reason. They are the foil in the Gospels, right? They are the foil. But it's easy for us to kind of look at them and say they're... they're being ridiculous. Interestingly, in, in the Talmud and in the, uh, Mish, uh, the, the, the Mishnah, uh, two sort of compilations of oral tradition within uh, Jewish writings that were composed sometime around 1000 AD, but really picked up the oral tradition from, from many, many generations before them. So in those uh, particular writings in one place, in one instance, the Mish, in the Mishnah particularly, you can read how it, and I went and I read this, just to be clear, you can read how it is unlawful to kill fleas on the Sabbath, but it is lawful to kill lice. Ridiculous. It feels ridiculous. And when we hear something like that, we sit up on our high horse and we scoff at such nitpicking. Literally, nitpicking. <laughs> and when we hear Jesus' words that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath, we say, Amen. And then we continue on in our busy, productive lives with nary a thought about what the Sabbath command is. And we say things like, Isn't it part of that Old Testament regulation that Jesus is abolishing? Something that is no longer in effect? So this passage is foreign to us. This idea that these, there would be such conflict over the Sabbath seems over-the-top ridiculous. Though they parsed things out too far, the Jewish scholars who wrote the Mishnah were actually right about one thing in their discussion about lice and fleas. You see, for them, the issue was the preservation of of life, That whole section, I didn't read it, but if you were to read it, they'd get down to lice and fleas down here. But at the very outset, they say it is wrongful to kill, especially on the Sabbath. And that's the, that's the sort of fundamental thing. Even, even ceremonially killing things on the Sabbath, in, in their estimation, was sinful. And the rationale was because killing was wrong. Life was important for the Sabbath. It was a special day to celebrate and lift up life. And just as an aside, the reason fleas um, and other insects uh, were not allowed to be killed is because they, in, in the minds of people that didn't have biology in the way we have it today, believed that fleas and other insects uh, you know, made it and, and had sort of regular generation, whereas lice somehow generated out of sweat. So, so to them, lice weren't really, really alive. So you could kill lice, which is a good thing. Lice are bad, but um, 
obviously they take this concept a bit too far when considering the life of the flea. But in general, in general, Jesus is agreeing with them. At least as far as it, it goes, it is important to preserve life. Right? He says this at the very end. He talks about how important it is. Of course, I don't think Jesus, when he thought about preserving life, he had in mind fleas or lice or bugs or anything like that. Rather, he had a concern for preserving our life. That's why he came. In fact, Jesus is declaring that as Lord of the Sabbath, he offers to everyone life. Rest. And this is what I want us to consider this morning. Jesus, as Lord of the Sabbath, offers you restorative, life-giving Sabbath rest in himself. And we'll look at this in just two parts. We'll break this into these two sections. We have two uh, sections. One where he, uh, uh, the disciples are eating the grain on the Sabbath, and the other where he heals Uh, the man with the withered hand. And so we'll look at these in two parts. First, the Lord of the Sabbath offers us the bread of heaven. First. And then second, the Lord of the Sabbath offers us life and rest. They all could be summed up with that statement. So first, the Lord of the Sabbath offers us the bread of heaven. We are introduced to our section with these words. On the Sabbath, Mark is making a point. He's drawing this this idea out. Mark is at the outset preparing us for this final conflict before the Pharisees go off and plot to kill Jesus. And it surrounds this thorny issue of the regulations surrounding the Sabbath day. Jesus and his disciples were presumably walking at the edge of a field. And as they walked by and they were running their hands along the field and they were hungry, they plucked the heads of the grain off and they rubbed them together and they took out the meat of the, the, the grain and they ate it. Now, some might take uh, issue with the fact that they're taking from some random field that somebody had planted and eating that, but actually that was allowed. That was permissible in the, in the law of the Old Testament. In fact, it, they were to leave the edges of the property that, so that neighbors could go along and glean and take what was, uh, especially the poor, could take and, and, and find sustenance. And so that was, it was okay to pluck a neighbor's grain as long as you didn't take a sickle to it. Like that was, the, that was a, a step too far. You weren't to go and, and, uh, and plunder the land, but you could take a little bit. So that wasn't the issue. No, the issue was that the Jesus, that Jesus' disciples worked. On the Sabbath, they harvested and they threshed, right? They, they harvested and they threshed. So the Pharisees, already upset with Jesus and his disciples, um, with the disrupting uh, lives that they were, they were leading, you know, they were frustrated already. Um, they seemed to, Jesus and his disciples seemed to buck the practices of, uh, of, of these faithful Jews in just about every area. And so... They were frustrated, and when they saw, it says they pointed out to Jesus, they say, look, ha-ha, here's the moment, we've got you. Look, see what your disciples are doing. It was a moment of vindication for them. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Look at your disciples. 
And that was a way of condemning him. And so they confront Jesus. Why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now, as we've already noted, the Jewish oral tradition attempted to clarify these more general laws given to us in Scripture with very specifics. They wanted to parse out all the details. What were the particular rules, right? So, okay, so the the Lord has some general things to say about the Sabbath. But now, okay, what does it mean to work? Well, we have to define what it means to work. So, such was a thing like this. Were the disciples really harvesting? Well, technically, I guess they were harvesting because they were going through a field and they were taking the grain from the field. That's harvesting. Were they, were they threshing? Technically, they were threshing. They were taking the grain and they were taking off the husk and they were eating. They were technically threshing. But was their harvesting? Did it really have anything to do with the labor of farming? No. No, they were passively walking along and grabbed a head of corn or a head of grain. Were they really, really threshing? No. There was no millstone. There was no oxen. There was no day's work. There was no commerce. There was no labor. This was not at the heart of what the Sabbath was about. And Jesus doesn't really get into the debate, right? He doesn't start to to try to find the line. So where's the line and how close can we get to the line before we cross the line? Jesus doesn't get into that debate. It's kind of like talking to teenagers about their behavior with the opposite sex. If you're talking about lines, you're missing the heart of the issue, right? You're talking about how far can this relationship go? You say you're missing the heart of the issue. And so it is with the Sabbath. So Jesus, instead of getting into a debate about what is legal and what isn't, Jesus simply points out that the more important issue at hand, what was going on, was the necessity for food. And he does this by reminding them of a story from the Old Testament in 1 Samuel chapter 21. Uh, In this uh, account, David and his men are on the run. They're on the run from Saul, who is after them, and so and they left without really being prepared. And so they run and they first stop that they go to was a, a, a temple of the Lord. And they go into the temple and there was the priest. And they said, priest, what do you got for us? We need some food. And the priest says, well, I don't have much. But what I have is the ceremonial bread of the presence. This, this bread that is renewed every day. We, we bake it and then the priests eat it. And only the priests eat it. And so David says, okay, we'll take that. And so he gives it to them, and they, he eats it, and he gives it to his disciples, and they, they run off, uh, much to the chagrin of that priest who ended up giving up his life for that act. And you can read more about that in 1 Samuel 21. And it's interesting that he chose this account of David and his men. He's making a parallel here. He's saying, David, that messianic king, had men who were hungry. And he went and provided for their needs. He cared for them. But Jesus goes even a step farther in verse 28. Jesus says, he's not just the Messiah in that sense with his disciples who are following him. But he's more than that. It says, he's the Lord, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. It's a packed words. 
Son of Man, there's this glorious self-designation that Jesus used for himself that pointed to, yes, the Messianic future king that was pictured in the book of Daniel as this one who approaches God himself as the Ancient of Days. is this glorious picture, and he's saying, the Son of Man, referring to himself, this glorious Messianic king, is also the Lord of the Sabbath. He's saying, I am the one who is in charge of this day. I am the one who provides. I am the Lord who rules over this this day. And I'm the one who, who has made the grain itself. And as the King and Lord of the Sabbath, he says, it's my job to provide sustenance for my disciples. And isn't this what the Sabbath is for? Sustenance. Life. Rest for you and for me. Jesus says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And our fundamental problem is that we believe that our life depends on us. It's a fundamental issue. We believe that our life depends on us. For the Pharisees... The Sabbath was just one more way that they could provide for themselves. Isn't that ironic? In the irony of a day that was meant to offer them heavenly respite and rejuvenation and life, they turned it into one more day's labor. If we obey this way and that way and we do these things, then God will be happy with us. And while I don't think that we have hang-ups with Sabbath requirements, maybe we ought to have more, We do think that life depends on us. And so instead of fastidious Sabbath observance, we go the other way. So instead of making this our way of life, we go the other way. We work and we work and we try and we strive and we toil and we push and we prod. And each and every day we think, I've got to do more. I've got to prepare more. I've got to provide more. I've got to create more. And we do it for us and we do it for our children. And we instill that in our children. We say, you've got to work more. You've got to try hard. You've got to do this. Because if we don't, everything's going to fall apart. Is that really any different than the Pharisees? The Lord of the Sabbath offers to you bread of heaven. Heavenly provision. The Sabbath is meant to be a day where we stop and we recognize that the Lord provides all that we need In the two accounts of the Sabbath, we read uh, one of them this morning. In the two accounts, one found in Exodus 20, the other in Deuteronomy. In the first, in the Exodus account, it grounds the Sabbath requirement on creation. Because the Lord rested on the seventh day. And in the Deuteronomy account, it grounds the Sabbath on redemption. Because the Lord brought, brought you up out of Egypt. Keep the Sabbath holy, set apart. It's funny, right? Why two different ones? Is there, a, is there a conflict between Deuteronomy and Exodus? Why are there two different grounds for the Sabbath? No, I, th- I think they're, 
I think they go hand in hand. Hand in hand. God made us. He provides for us all things. After the creation account, God has made heaven and earth. He's made man in his own image. He has put all of the the pieces in place. And then it says, and then on the seventh day, he rested from all his labors. And it wasn't because the Lord was tired. We have an omnipotent God, an eternal God who never ceases to exist. He never tires. But he rested. Why? Have you ever thought about it? Why did God rest on the seventh day? He rested because he's the king. And he wanted to set a day of celebration, of holy convocation, a day set apart to revel in the fact that God created all things and that he is the provider of all things. And he says, come enjoy the rest of the king. Come be fed, be provided for this royal rest. They made all things. But God also redeemed, didn't he? He brought the Israelites out of Egypt. He provided salvation from slavery and rest. He gave them manna in heaven, or manna from heaven in the wilderness. And God has redeemed us. And he's provided for us salvation and life. Manna from heaven. Christ himself. Jesus came as the Lord of the Sabbath and as the bread of life. As manna. The Sabbath was made for us. The Sabbath is for our good. It's meant to sustain us and to reinvigorate us and to point us to Jesus. We're to look at the creation and see God as the one who made all things, that he provides and cares for his creation. We're to look at redemption and the glory of provision in the cross. And we're to look to glory to that day when we will have that final rest and provision, when there will be no more toiling and striving and struggling, but that the Lord himself will be our satisfaction. And Sabbath points to all of those things. And so on a day that we set aside here on Sunday, the first day of the week, the day of resurrection, in the pattern of the early church, we come and we eat. We eat the bread of the word. We feast on it. We eat the bread of the sacrament and the, we drink and enjoy the, the provision for God in that in Christ spiritually. We enjoy the food of fellowship, don't we? We enjoy sitting around tables in each other's homes and enjoy eating and feasting and fellowshipping together. We enjoy the bread of service. Taking the abundance that we have and sharing it with one another. The Lord of the Sabbath gives us the bread of heaven. The second thing we see here in our text is that the Lord of the Sabbath offers us rest and life. Jesus, after his encounter, goes to the synagogue. He's not against the Sabbath. He's not abolishing the Sabbath. Uh, One one, uh, 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 pastor put it this way. Um, I can find my, my note here. He says, He is not canceling the use of the Sabbath. He is correcting the abuse of the Sabbath. 
I think that's a helpful thing, helpful way to put it. He's not canceling the use of the Sabbath. He's correcting the abuse of the Sabbath. And so Jesus goes to the synagogue. Why? Well, that's where he himself can feed on the word and he himself can feed others with the word. What did he say when the devil tempted him with physical bread in the wilderness? He quoted scripture. He said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth. God. And so he goes to the synagogue to worship, to fellowship, to feed on the word and to feed others with the word and to serve. And so he's there for those purposes, to enjoy life given by God. But here was a trap that had been set for him. There was a man with a withered hand. See, it wasn't the goal of the religious leaders, the Pharisees, to enjoy fellowship and to, to feast with him in, in, in the word and to, and to feast with one another and to serve. Their goal was to trap. Rather than fighting for life, they were going for death. They were seeing if he would heal. They figured he would because they had seen enough to know that Jesus would do this. And so the goal of the religious leaders was to accuse him. As we think about the purpose of the Sabbath, I think it's helpful to remind ourselves that I think we, again, give the Pharisees a bad rap, but their goal was for life. They saw the Sabbath as for life. They didn't understand exactly what that meant. But they, they, they tried to, to view things as, okay, the Sabbath is for life. And so even in the Old Testament, if uh, there was an emergency, of course, life is the, of first priority. If an ox is in a ditch, you help to get that ox out of the ditch, lest it died in that ditch. You, you preserve life. Sort of. Right? So here's a man with a withered hand. We don't know anything about this man. But it wasn't an emergency life-threatening situation, right? It was a man who had been injured, who had some chronic issue. And so that could wait till tomorrow. That kind of life issue wasn't a big deal. Wasn't a problem. So Jesus calls them on their hypocrisy. He says these words here in chapter 3. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? What should have been their response? Their own law. They wouldn't even kill Fleas. Their own law stated, well, preserve life, of course. That's the goal, to preserve life, to give life. That's what the Sabbath is for. Ironically, on the Sabbath day, after worship in the synagogue, they go off to plot death. Meanwhile, Meanwhile, Jesus brings healing in life. But in the middle of this, before he brings healing, it says they were silent. They didn't have an answer for Jesus because they knew their hearts. They knew that they were wrong, but they couldn't give him the, 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 the decency of saying what was true. And so he looked around at them with anger that he was grieved at the hardness of heart. The Lord of the Sabbath was grieved. Why? 
Because here he was offering life, offering sustenance, saying, here I have come to give new life. And all you have in your mind is death. He was grieved. But he told that man, stretch out your hand. So I kind of wonder if that wasn't it, right? Uh, If he wasn't able to stretch out his hand before. But there he was. I can't stretch out my hand. No, go ahead. Stretch out your hand. And he stretches out his hand. Life. Restoration. Rejuvenation. This was the purpose of the Sabbath. that, That when people would come into the Sabbath... They would rest and be rejuvenated with life. And here was the Lord of the Sabbath bringing new life. From a place where there was brokenness and hurt. I wonder with us. I wonder. When Jesus says these words. He was grieved at the hardness of the heart. If sometimes we are so clinging to our ability to create life for ourselves, to give ourselves what is necessary, that we reject the life-giving God. As I think about Sabbath, you know, there, are, there, are, there is much teaching to be had on it. There, it is a challenging topic, and it's easy to get into the weeds and talk about the do's and don'ts and think about what is permissible, what is not. And, and I think that's not unhelpful, but we sometimes miss the bigger picture. We miss the bigger picture that this is a day set aside by the Lord for our good, for life and rest. That he's given us a whole day that says, you know what, stop what you're doing, lift up your eyes and look to Jesus don't, don't, don't worry about that thing over there that's undone. Do you think I don't know about that? Do you think that I'm not Lord over that undone thing as well? Nope, nope. Don't worry about your job. It's okay. It'll wait. It'll wait. Come. Meet together. Be refreshed. Find sustenance in me, life. Hebrews says it well, it says there remains for us a Sabbath rest. And then it says, basically make every effort to enter that rest. It's kind of an interesting thing. It's like, wait, but that's work, isn't it? What he's saying is run to Jesus. Trust him. Fall on him. Know that he gives you life and rest and sustenance and that he will bring you home. This text ends with the plot to kill Jesus. They go off, the Pharisees. They went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians. (laughs) They were even willing to go with their enemies, the Herodians, because their enemies' enemies are their friends, right? That's how the old saying goes. They were even willing to partner up with their enemies to destroy him. But here's the amazing thing about, about the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of the Sabbath. 
that he set out with a mission to bring about redemption. And he willingly gave up his life, his rest, his glory and enjoyment of heaven, and his fellowship with the Father and the Spirit to bear the curse and wrath of God for us that we might enter his rest, that we might have life. So even as these Pharisees went out, the sovereign Lord of the Sabbath was preparing an eternal rest for you and me. Friends, as we think about what it means to come on a Sunday and to spend time after Sunday, consider what it would be to to view this, this day, a set-apart day, a holy day, where we can lift our eyes to the Lord of the Sabbath and rest in His life-giving, finished work. Looking forward to a day when we will no longer struggle and, and work and strive, but we will rest in the strong arms of our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the Lord Jesus Christ.